0: with that. So I don't want you to, to walk out of here tonight with the idea of, well, you know what? We, water baptism is a joke. Any more than I want you to believe that tongues is a joke. I don't want you to believe that healing is a joke. I don't want you to believe that prophecy is a joke. We don't focus and emphasize those things because Christ is what we are supposed to emphasize. But they do accompany. They are things that I believe build us up and edify. And so... I want to continue to look at this. There was no way I preached. I'm going to check the time. I didn't even know when I started last week, and I preached probably longer than maybe I should have or normally do. But um, I just want to continue this thought. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that our fathers, all our fathers, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Lord, I ask you that you would equip me to be able to deliver what you have put in my heart, that you would receive the glory for it, Jesus, and all honor that's due unto you. Amen. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That portion of scripture I want you to think about. You might need to take some notes again tonight. I'm hoping to provoke some thought in you. Uh, I know a couple of you came up afterwards last, last week and said, man, I begin to think about this. And Rodney was talking about, he said, man, I was, when you were speaking I, I just remembered in the Lord put my heart where Jesus is walking on the water and he reached down and he pulled Peter out of the water. And, and I love that because that's exactly the kind of thing I hope to provoke in you. I hope to provoke that, that thought and that deeper, deeper understanding. But this, um, this thought, Moses, they were all baptized into Moses in the sea and in the cloud. I was thinking about this because Moses had, had something to know about baptism Moses was born in trouble. He was born in a time of trouble and in a situation where Pharaoh had ordered that all the male children of Israel would be thrown into the river and drown. Now, I think this is kind of interesting because Pharaoh could have demanded that they be killed a number of different ways, correct? And in fact, if a male child is just born, you don't have to do anything except for don't feed it and that baby is gonna expire, it's gonna die. So I think it's interesting that Pharaoh would pass judgment upon the Israeli children, the Hebrew, little Hebrew boys, that they would be thrown into the river and drowned. Considering the thoughts that we were talking about, that I do believe that this immersion in water, I don't believe that in every instance, but I believe that when we talk about being immersed in water, I believe it has to do with judgment. I believe it has to do with the the overwhelming sin problem. And so we will see that same kind of a thing here Um, with what Pharaoh ordered. And so Moses' mother hid him uh, for three months, uh, but he was growing. She couldn't hide him anymore. You all know the story, except for maybe some of the young ones, so we remind them. Um, So Exodus 2 says that she made him an ark, and she covered it with pitch and set it in the river. This description is exactly the same type of description. For the sake of time, I won't cover it. But that is described of Noah preparing the ark, and he covered it with pitch the same way. And so this thought, this is the second of three arcs mentioned in the scripture. There's only three arcs mentioned. There is Noah's Ark, there is Moses' Ark, and there is the Ark of the Covenant. They I believe that all three of these arks represent the the housing of the Spirit of God. That's what I believe the ark represents. It is the housing of the Spirit of God. It is, it, it is multiple things that this does. In the case of Noah and Moses, we can see that the ark is transitional. It is taking them from one life to another life. So we know that this happened in, Noah, or in Noah's time, which we talked about last week, that God took him from this corrupt and vile world. God flooded the earth destroyed everything, everyone, and brought him to a new life that was free from all of that vileness. And we see in the same way that God is taking Moses in the ark upon the water, not in the water, not because of the water, not by the water, but upon the water, God is taking Moses from what is going to be destruction if he stays there. He has to be killed. And so God uses an ark to transition him from the life of a slave to the life of a noble. God takes him from what would be a destiny of servanthood into a a preparation for the exodus of God's people. So the ark produces this. You can see these same types and again we don't have time to cover all of this but maybe provoke some thought in you concerning the ark the ark of the lord of the ark of the covenant when it was in the presence of israel israel triumphed and was taking new territory and was able to be victorious over its enemies but When they lost the ark, they lost the presence of God and they begin to be consumed and when they would go out to battle, they would then lose. But when that ark was brought into the house of the Philistine who took care of it, he was being blessed because the presence of God that was in that ark. So I believe that the ark is, I believe it's transitional. I also believe that it's protective. It provided protection against the judgment of water. And it was enclosing or encompassing. It completely enveloped them in the presence of God's divine order. So when you think about arcs, I want you to think about it in that way. I want you to think about the ark in the terms of the housing of the Spirit of God. And I want you to think about the Spirit of God in those three ways. The Spirit of God is is a part of your life. It is supposed to be... um, Covering your life in order to transition you in order to protect you and in order to enclose you. I believe it and So even though the scripture doesn't speak of Moses in these terms I believe that you can see the type that Moses was baptized in the ark that his mother built Do you believe in infant baptism? Well, I do in this case (laughs) Moses as an infant three months old was placed into the river It is Pharaoh's daughter who finds him in the weeds. Her her servant finds him. She brings Pharaoh's daughter over. And when she opens the little ark, it says that the baby wept and she had compassion upon him. And she called his name Moshe, which means to be drawn out. Now, I don't know. There's Nobody really can say exactly where this name comes from. Some will say that it has Egyptian origin and it means a son who is drawn out. Um, Some will say that that it's a Hebrew origin and it means to be drawn out. But regardless, it is Pharaoh's daughter that names him and calls him the drawn out one. And it is important because when we get over to Corinthians, Paul says that the fathers were baptized into Moses. I don't know if you caught that. I mean, I repeated it a few times, but sometimes we can glaze over things. We don't think about maybe the significance of what that means. And I think that, that his very names gives us an understanding of what this baptism was. They were baptized into the one who drew them out. So this is, this is type, this is, uh, this is something that's important us and i'm going to cover that in a minute but but this didn't just happen it's not just random that his name is moses it's not just random that he's in an ark but i believe that that the things that are happening in the old testament some of them are just maybe some events that maybe don't have as much significance as others But then I believe there are types that we see the apostle, and we see uh, Peter does this, and, and Jesus does this, and Paul does this, where he refers back, and they make statement concerning what those things were. Because what happened with Moses was not about Moses. What happened with Israel was not about Israel. It was not about baptism. It wasn't about Egypt. It was about Christ. It was about the coming into Christ. That's what it's about. So they were baptized into the one who drew them out. They were drawn out of Egypt and out of bondage and into freedom. I want to read for you this passage of scripture in Exodus 14 because I do think it helps us maybe to to grab an understanding of possibly what the Lord was trying to say here. Exodus 14 and verse 20. Speaking of the cloud and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud of darkness to them, to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to the Israelites, the, to these, so that the one came not near the other all night long. That's the first evidence of a night light, right there, in case you were wondering. Happened right there in the cloud. Now, I thought that was interesting, because I've always in my mind, just a side note, I've always had this idea there was a cloud, by, uh, a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And I had this idea that they were two separate things. Anybody else ever think they were two separate things? But the passage that we just read says that it was the cloud that became the light. Because it was all one thing. God was using it to cover them and protect them from the heat, which is a pretty amazingly big cloud that followed them around and then at night it was also to provide protection in this case from the Egyptians they looked and they saw darkness they saw a storm we've been in Oklahoma I didn't know what thunder clouds looked like until we got here and now I have some idea what that cloud might have looked like to the Egyptians so much so that they said man we're not gonna approach them cuz they got something going on over there we don't want to be a part of and I happened to drive through one of those a few months ago. But to to Israel, it was not that case. They were under this protection and it was a light unto them. Now, I don't know how bright it was, but man, if you're in the middle of the wilderness, just a little bit of light would have been pretty nice. Feel like that, hey, I can see what's going on. I can see if Pharaoh was coming. I've got some light. They're seeing darkness, but Israel's seeing light. Another type. Now, I want you to look down Continue to read, verse 21, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. All that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, verse 22, And the children of Israel went in the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right and upon their left. Skip down to verse 27. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, And the sea returned to its strength, and when the morning appeared, the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. And there remained not so much as even one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall on their right and upon their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel in the day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. I think that's a really important line. The people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant, Moses. They were baptized in the cloud and in the sea, into Moses. I was thinking again about the judgment. Pharaoh and his army were the ones who actually got wet. It wasn't Israel. So when we think about baptism, the type that Paul is speaking of here, again, I want to loose from your mind the immediate attachment of water and baptism because there's something else that we got to get to in the future, not tonight, that we got to understand what we are to be baptized with. And if we reduce it to water, then we make it about a fleshly event. And God's not worried about fleshly events. God's worried about spiritual things. And so... Pharaoh was the one who got wet. Pharaoh is the one who, in the water, took the wrath or the judgment. God overthrew him by the water. So don't associate water with life, associate water with death, as we covered last week. Our text in Corinthians brings some light to this very important point concerning baptism. I've got three points that I, I can see in First Corinthians 10 that we were just reading. The first is that the apostle reveals that baptism does not signify being immersed in water. Many people, as I just said, when they hear baptism, they immediately think of water because it's been engraved and in, ingrained in our psyche. But that really is reserved for judgment and for death. When Paul speaks of baptism, he does not tie it to water, but rather he brings the thought that baptism is about being immersed in something. And more specifically, which we'll get to in a second, in 1 Corinthians 10, in someone. So it says that they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Let's for a moment bypass who they were baptized into and look only at how they were baptized the cloud does not represent water scholars who want to believe that water baptism is mandatory for salvation will say that this cloud hovered over them and it rained upon them well, then that would, if if that was true, which there's absolutely no biblical precedent to believe that, but if that was true, then that would make Catholic sprinkling of water applicable. It would be the same thing because there's no way that you could be completely immersed by rain unless we had a flood that was filling up the earth, at which point we got Noah happening all over again and God promised that wouldn't happen. That is complete conjecture. The cloud does not represent water. In fact, the cloud represents protection and covering. To their enemies, the cloud was dark and ominous. But to Israel, it was light and it was protection. The sea is water. But God did not have them. And think about this for a minute. How could God, Pharaoh behind them and the Red Sea before them, how could God have got them across the Red Sea. Is it only that they could have walked? Could God have transported the whole of Israel? Boom, they're on the other side. Could that have happened? Yes, of course it could have happened. Could he have made them, every one of them, and their, their dogs and their cows, Olympic swimmers, and they could have swam the sea? Yes. Could he have made them as Peter and they could have walked upon the the sea. Oh, absolutely. He could have done this in any way he chose to. But instead, he moved the water out of their way. And Exodus is emphatic to point out, Moses emphatically states multiple times that they walked across on dry ground. He makes it clear that there is a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. And I believe those walls were tall. I don't know how this happened. I can't even begin to suggest. I've watched things. I know Dad has watched some things. There is a a land island, land bridge just underneath the surface where we believe they probably crossed. That would not have been exceptionally deep for them to walk straight down and straight back up. But we don't really know exactly how this happened. And that's not... That important, or otherwise we would have had the details of it. But what is important is that this wasn't about water. It was about being baptized into Moses. The clouds surrounded them. It hovered over them. The seawalls stood beside them and loomed or hovered over them. But they did not get wet by the cloud, and they did not get wet by the sea. Baptism is transitional. It signifies the transfer of from one life to another life. So it's very clear they are being baptized into Moses because they had a taskmaster master in Pharaoh that was enslaving them, that was trying to kill them, that was keeping them in bondage, that was increasing their workload. And God is transitioning them from that bondage to a new life but do you notice that god doesn't transition them to leave pharaoh without giving them another leader god is not just about setting you free so where does baptism come into this baptism historically has been the process, and the Jews did this when they proselyted people. None of us are really Jews. I mean, I might have a, my, my grandma Saber had some Jewish Hebrew blood, supposedly. So I, I don't know. Possibly there's some inklings of that. We're all Americans. If we would have gone into Judaism, though, they would have taken us and they would have baptized us, and we would have been baptized into the name of the rabbi that we were following. We're taking on that that teaching and now I become a disciple of that specific rabbi. So when God goes to take them out of Egypt, God doesn't just say, listen, my people have been in bondage and I'm tired of this bondage of the Egyptians and I'm going to set them free. Hey guys, here's the Red Sea, let me part it and you guys just go do whatever it is that you feel you should do. No, he brings them out of that But he says, in order for you to get where I need you to go, I'm going to baptize you into someone else. Yes, you're leaving Pharaoh. He's no longer your leader. He never really was, but he was acting in that capacity. And now I'm going to bring you into something else. So they were baptized into Moses. The apostle, this is the second point that I see in this passage in 1 Corinthians. The apostle strengthens the thought of being baptized into a person they were not in Moses think about this they were not being baptized into a faith everybody say amen they were already Israel they were already Hebrews they, they didn't have all of the the law and they didn't have all of that stuff yet but they were already God's people. They didn't know exactly how to live, so God's gonna bring them out of Egypt and he's gonna give Moses the commandments to tell them how to conduct their lives. But this was a baptism into someone, not into faith. It was literally, in the sense of faith, it was that they had to put their faith in Moses. That Moses was going to be, to them, the mouthpiece of God This is one of the reasons why I don't want you to associate me or pastor with baptism and salvation because we're not baptizing you into us we're baptizing you into Christ because you got to get that rela- uh, that relationship that direction From him and so we don't want to be in the middle of that thing but in this case this was done as a type and I want to I got to get there in a second but what does that mean as a type but Paul introduces or strengthens this thought of being baptized into a person the reason I make this point is because I think a lot of people who are being baptized today are being baptized Those who believe baptism is essential for salvation are being baptized into a faith and not into a person. That's what's happening. You're being baptized into being apostolic. You're being baptized into being missionary Baptist. You're not being baptized into Jesus Christ. You're only using that name because that's what makes you holiness or apostolic or that's what makes you Missionary Baptist. But God does not want you to be baptized into a faith. God wants you to be baptized into a person. And this is what God's going to try to do. Moses represented leadership and direction for Israel. For the 400 years, their leaders had all died off. Whatever freedoms they had, they had completely lost. They had been emasculated. They had no great and strong leaders, so God had to raise one up. Has anybody thought about that? Why in 400 years did nobody, we have no record of really anybody rising up? Where are the men? Where are the men who say freedom, death is more important than bondage, and I would rather die fighting for freedom Where where is all of that? It's silent. So God raises up a leader. He has to train him in Pharaoh's house because there's nobody in, in Israel to train him to be a leader. He has to learn military leadership. He has to learn how to fight and how to lead a people from Pharaoh's house because there's no one there to teach him of this. There's transition in baptism, there are times where you're going to go through some things, and, and I know this is a, such a cliche line, but there are some times where you're going to go through some things that you may not understand because God is trying to baptize you into something else. He's trying to take you from where you're at and prepare you to walk in something different. But we desperately want to hold on to what we have. I can guarantee that Moses would have rather been with his mother and his father and his sisters and his brothers than in Pharaoh's house if he had the choice. But looking back on it, he could not have been what God had called him to be unless he had gone to the places God wanted him to go. Paul makes it clear that baptism has nothing to do with water because they never got wet. He reinforces the thought that this is true. The importance of baptism is not how you were baptized, but who you were baptized into. That's what matters. Literally, when Paul begins to go around, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, does he not ask some of the groups whose baptism were you baptized into have you been baptized in the spirit of god and some of them would say things like we didn't even know there was such a baptism we were baptized into the baptism of repentance of john and paul says no no this this matters it doesn't matter that you're water baptized but it does matter who you're baptized into john was the one who was trying to get you to jesus so you can't stop it john It matters who you're baptized into. And I believe this is what Paul is driving at. If Israel was baptized into Moses without ever getting wet, but by following his direction, which is exactly what that Exodus 14 just told us, that because they begin to follow the leadership of uh, and believe into Moses, that they were baptized into Moses, then shouldn't we be baptized into Christ? Everybody say amen. amen. And that... Without water. Again, I'm not opposed to water baptism. I believe it's a, it's a beautiful sign of, of a death and a new birth. The scripture does speak of this. It's a type, but it's not the real. You can be baptized in water and never be baptized into Christ. You can be baptized in water and come up speaking in tongues and never be baptized into Christ. You can be baptized in Jesus' name into water and come up speaking in tongues and never be baptized into Christ. Because the baptism into Christ is about taking him on as your leader, as your rabbi, as your Messiah. And that is a a spiritual decision That we must make. And that's not a one-time decision. It is a lasting, daily, repeated decision. Him being my teacher. Look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. For as many... Of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. I want you to think about this. The ark. The encompassing. It's something I, I really feel is lost. I feel like that we're we're missing something in this. This encompassing I put on Christ. Stop emphasizing water. The immersion that you need is not water. The immersion that you need is the longing to be immersed in the Spirit of God. Stop focusing on how you were baptized and start focusing on who. You were baptized into stop longing for this experience in the natural and never getting to the experience in the spiritual put on Christ the third thing that I see that is clear from first Corinthians 10 is that baptism secured no Lasting salvation for them. As Paul says, they were overthrown by God. We saw this same term used of Pharaoh in the sea where it says that God overthrew him. But in the wilderness, it says that God overthrew Israel. Paul makes this so clear. He says, every single one of our fathers, all of them, he uses the term all. He says, all of them were baptized in the sea and in the cloud into Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, which is manna. Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Manna is just a type of Christ, amen? Not speaking things we've not thought of before. But they all ate the same spiritual food, the same spiritual bread. They all drank the same spiritual drink, which Paul then goes on to say clearly, they drank of that rock that followed them in the wilderness, and that rock was Christ. Again, a type. It's just an exact type. But every single one of them, except two, died in the wilderness. God overthrew every single one of them who were baptized, but two. Why? If baptism secures some lasting salvation, then it has to work this is i mean i know this may even seem like it's split in hairs but i'm gonna, i'm i really feel that we need to understand something if being baptized in water delivers you freedom from sin then it works or it doesn't. I said it last week. What do we do now after we have come to the Lord and then we find ourselves overtaken in sin? Why do they not go back to the baptismal tank? Because they believe in eternal security as the result of water. That's why. In their hearts, they have got an idea somewhere along the line, bought into the, to the bill of goods that said, if you do this, then this produces something else in you. But what God has always wanted for his people is a people that would draw nigh unto him. Your sacrifice I am not pleased with. It's a stench in my nostrils. I don't want you to sacrifice. What does he say? I want. I want your obedience. I want your hearts. That's what I want. God was not pleased with them because of their wickedness. And he overthrew them. It is a clear message from Paul that it doesn't matter if you are baptized. It doesn't matter if you eat what is spiritually provided for you. To the woman at the well, Jesus would say, I am the living water. But the life comes not from being baptized, but from being baptized into him. Do we literally drink Jesus? When he says, I am the living water, I mean, the children of Israel in this type, they, they drank of Christ. But we don't. We don't drink water and say, this is Jesus, it's the living water. How, how would we receive that water? By being baptized into him. By taking him on as our Lord. This is exactly what he's talking about. We all understand that. Remaining in him. It's not about getting dunked once, but it is instead about keeping your life hidden in Christ. I want you to look back at at 1 Peter, that same passage that we looked at last time, 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 21, it says, And the like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. I believe that baptism produces salvation in our life. It is the baptism into Christ. I said that last week. But I want you to catch this. The like figure. Now, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 again, where we just were. And, and look at verse 6. Now these things were our examples. The, the word in Peter says it, that, that this baptism was an anti-type, is the word in the Greek. It was a type in the place of another type. It was a baptism, but it wasn't the baptism the way you're thinking about it because it's not about the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's an anti-type of that kind of baptism. It's an anti-type of water baptism. This is about the answer of a good conscience before God, which comes how? By the cleansing of, his consci- of our conscience, by the washing and the regeneration of the word of God, which is a result of taking Christ as my rabbi, and I am baptized into him, and I am following him. So that's an anti-type. But the but Paul says here in, in 1 Corinthians 10:6, he says, now these things were done as a type, which means it's when we think of a type, we could say an example would be, well, I, I can use something. We see this happen all the time. We, we see some preacher get in the Old Testament, and they take something that happened. They love Elijah. They love David. And they, they take and say, well, David and Goliath. And David and Goliath is an is a example of how we can overcome giants. Right? Anybody heard that message before? Okay. That would be an example. The word in-sample. Anybody ever see that word in-sample, E-N-sample? That's something different and really that's what this word is but they always almost always translate translate it as example in sample means the exact thing being acted out that's what it means here these things were all done if you look at uh, tupio it, it means a mark a stamp it means to have the exact reflection of the real It's a signet, it's a copy of exactly what God is looking at. So then think about for a second what happened. They were baptized into a person, Moses. They were baptized in the sea and in the cloud. Never got wet, but they were baptized into a person, Moses. Moses. They did not listen to God, which was speaking through Moses. And so God overthrew them, and they were judged, and they never entered promise. They never truly had salvation. They went from provision in in Egypt, which was slavery, to wandering through a wilderness eating the same meal every single day and died in their trespasses and sins. In fact, it says that they tempted God with their murmuring and complaining. These things were done. Again, we want to look at the Old Testament and say, well, this is just a bunch of stories, and it kind of gets us to Jesus. Paul says that what happened in in Israel coming out of Egypt, God taking them through the Red Sea, being baptized into Moses, it was all an exact type of what God wants to tell you. Everybody understand what I'm saying? To look at verse 6 through 14. Now these things were our exact type. To the intent, we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. I love this. Now he's going to go and we're going to read him here quickly. But I love this because Paul is not going to reduce it down to, hey guys, y'all need to get in the water. Mm-mm. No, he's gonna say, listen, the baptism that they were baptized into didn't work. They were overthrown, why? Because they lusted after evil. Now Paul's gonna talk for the next several verses here about the heart condition. Look at this, verse seven, neither be you. Everybody look, your neighbors say you. Don't be idolaters. These were exact types of what we need to avoid. This baptism, it was an exact type of what God wants to do with us in Christ. And let me tell you what's going to separate that from happening in your life. You get idols in your life. You get things grow up that are bigger than Jesus in your life. To where he's going. No, I'll just read them. I won't comment on every one of them. Neither be ye adulterers, idolaters, sorry, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They were more concerned with entertainment than they were the Lord. (laughs) Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted, and were destroyed of serpents neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And now all these things happened unto them for in samples, exact types of what we have to be careful does not separate us from baptism in Christ. You following? These things take you out of baptism. These things take you out of the Spirit. These things separate you from the ark. They happen for exact type examples. And they are written for our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore... Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with every temptation give you an ark. That you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I think the apostle believes that we should not trust in our external experiences to carry you through times of trial. You are not going to be able to rely upon water baptism or a time at an altar you're not going to be able to rely on those things. I thought it was funny because today I turned on a, an old preacher I hadn't listened to lately and dad and I like to listen to him. And he began to say, he's an apostolic preacher, 25, 30 years ago, he began to say some of these exact same things. And I told Kerry, he's preaching my message tonight. So you can get in, the, in a corner and pray in another language for three days. And he said, and you find those same people three years later and they have nothing to do with God. Why? Because they never got into Jesus. They got water baptized, and they came up tongue-talking. But that doesn't equal salvation for you. That just is an experience. But what produces salvation in your life is being immersed fully and completely in Christ. As many of you as are baptized in Christ, put on Christ. Water won't fix us. The altar won't fix us. Speaking in tongues won't fix us. We have to take on the leadership of Christ and remain in the ark of His Spirit. Otherwise, this world will destroy us. We will not make it. I want to close with this one last thought. The scripture says, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. How many believe that? So we believe that upon that salvation beginning in our lives, we in our church, unlike many churches, but we in our church believe that you received the spirit of Christ because how else could you even begin the process of salvation? So Christ becomes that spirit working and moving within us. But much today is made about the Holy Spirit residing in us as opposed to the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is said to rest upon men. How many have heard that? The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that when the Spirit of God is poured out in the day of Pentecost, now the Spirit resides in us. And up until then, the Spirit of God just was kind of flighty. He was that dove flying around, and he just moved on people. Anybody? Again, you've heard that that thought process. Now, I believe that there is a residing and remaining presence that is greater in the New Testament. But I'm going to get to why I believe that here in a second. Because I don't agree with that premise that the difference between the Spirit of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the New Testament, he's in us, but in the Old Testament, he was on them. I don't believe that. And I'm going to give you some examples of why. Genesis 41 and 38, Joseph was filled with the Spirit of God. Anybody have any question about how that's phrased? The same exact phraseology that's used in the book of Acts. Speaking of Peter who was filled with the Spirit of God. Exodus 31 and 3, and the craftsmen who built the tabernacle were filled with the Spirit of God. Joshua in Numbers 27 and 18 was filled with the Spirit of God. Daniel is said by his, his co prisoner who has come into the presence of the king, and the king's disturbed by all that is going on. It is said of Daniel by him, he is a man who is filled with the Spirit. In fact, it says in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and 43 that David was in the Spirit. The exact type of phrase that is used of the Apostle Paul when he sees the revelation of the third heaven. And we see this happening by Peter and by John. In the Spirit. And that is Jesus' words. Do you think Jesus might know something about the filling of the Spirit of God? It has become a talking point for the Pentecostal churches to say, well, David did this and that, and that was without the Holy Ghost. So imagine what you can do with the Holy Ghost. Anybody heard that sermon? I just heard it. I just heard it last week. I listened to the associate pastor at a big... UPC church and he said and David did all this stuff and it was all about worship and how that when you get old you can't worship which I just don't even understand that idea because his dad said today worship is about our heart crying out and in obedience to God our worship is Lord help me I don't think it matters how old you are but they're talking about this external thing and David he danced and boy he could do that without the Holy Ghost now when you get the Holy Ghost And that's what's being preached all over in Pentecostal churches. Trinitarian oneness, boy, you get the Holy Ghost and you'll be able to do all these things. I'm going to tell you what I think the difference is. I think the difference of what is poured out in the New Testament church and the Old Testament fathers can be simplified to this. They have the Spirit of God moving in or on them, but we have the Spirit of Christ. Christ. I want you to think about that. Let that settle for a second. Don't miss what I'm saying. I'm not talking about different spirits. Again, I believe there's a residing, so maybe there's a a richer, more accessible presence spirit of God, but but I want want to make it clear. What I am saying is they sought after a God that they could not see. They're looking for a, a God that they don't even know the name to some of them. They're trying to find a God that cannot be confined or contained. And so the Spirit of God moves on them. The the same Spirit of God. Not a different Spirit. How many would say amen? The same Spirit. But the difference is not the Spirit. The difference is that we know the Spirit. What moved on them was the Spirit of God. What lives within us is the Spirit of Christ. It is the spirit of God manifested that we claim. They're looking forward to the one who would be manifested. But they don't have a type. They don't know what that spirit is. And Jesus makes allusion to this even again, talking to the woman at the well. He said, you worship what you do not know. and, And we worship what we know. But really, do they know what they're worshiping? A God who they're afraid to say his name? A God who is, who is unable to be approached unless you're a priest? Is it a different spirit, Old Testament, than it is New Testament? It is really the problem that in the Old Testament they just had a God who worked around them but never filled them? Because we've clearly, that is not scripturally strong. In fact, it says of John the Baptist that he was filled with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb. And that's all Old Testament. John's the last Old Testament prophet. What is the difference then? The difference is, is now we have the name of the Spirit. We know the one that we're looking for. So when we look for the Spirit of God, we're going to get to it in a few weeks, but when we, when we think about Spirit baptism... I want to take it out of where you've always been raised to think. I want to get it out of tongues. I want to get it out of uh, some emotional outpouring. And I want you to think about the spirit baptism that you need, that I need, is to be able to identify what spirit it is that we are receiving. Because it's not Holy Ghost. The spirit you're receiving is not Holy Ghost. The spirit you're receiving is the Spirit of Christ. He says, I will not leave you orphans, but I will return to you. Is He holy? The Holy One of Israel, absolutely He's holy. Then His Spirit is also holy. But if you really want <clears throat> to add holy to it, it would be the Spirit of Holy Jesus is who you're receiving. You're not receiving Holy Ghost. This is the, this is the thing... I, I, I don't know if I can express this. I'm trying the best I can. But, but when we reduce it and say, well, well, God moved on them and now God moves in us, then we've got this apparition that is independent. And even within the apostolic movement, that doesn't work. But what we are saying is now we can identify the one who dwells in us. So my suggestion to what pastor was asking this morning is when people are getting around and clamoring and begging for Holy Ghost, is it possible at times they're receiving a different spirit? Because unless you receive the spirit of... Everybody say Christ. You're none of His. Not unless you receive the spirit of Holy Ghost. Well, pastor, they're one and the same. Well, then let's identify what it is. It is the spirit of Christ that we are receiving, and it is holy. But he is not a ghost. Jesus is not a ghost. Jesus in resurrected form is not a ghost. He is the almighty God. He is the one who was spirit and who was unseeable, who became flesh so that we could see him who now resides in us and we identify who it is that works within us. And I'm telling you, if we don't understand this, then we end up receiving spirits that are not of God. Spirits that are about wealth. Spirits that are about kundalini. You wanna see some crazy stuff? Go YouTube the kundalini spirit. It looks exactly like Pentecost. And they will say, oh, well, it's it's just a, they're just mocking the things of God. They're trying to reproduce the things of God. Oh, no, no, no. I think it's that same spirit loosed in the church. Why? Because we don't know the spirit. Scripture says, try the spirits and know who they are of. So we are looking for the spirit of Christ. The same spirit. It's the same spirit that they were looking for. But now we know him. We know his name. We know his person. They were baptized into Moses. Or Elijah. Or another prophet. But we are baptized into the one who is the spirit that inspired Moses and Elijah. We're baptized into Christ. They were baptized into the concealed God. We are baptized into the revealed God. As we go forward, I hope, and there were a few people that came uh, up last time when I spoke and said, that is what I want. I want to be baptized in the spirit of Christ. in the way you were talking about last week, how m- some of you said that. Listen. I don't want you to be afraid of the move of the Spirit of God in your life. And again, I want to uh, reinstate and, and institute this thought. You're going to know if it's the Spirit of Christ. Because if all you hear about is Holy Ghost, it's not of God. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit will not speak of itself, but it will speak of me. So unless you're hearing it talk about Jesus, it's not the Spirit of God. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care what you've been raised to think. The spirit of Christ will talk of him. Do you want to talk about signs? You want to talk about tongues? You want to talk about prophecy? You want to talk about worship and being filled and running around a church and falling out? You want to talk about all that stuff? It's not God. I'm not saying you can't get inspired by the move of of the spirit of Christ in your life and take off running, but you're going to talk about him if it's the spirit of Christ. You follow what I'm saying? If you do happen to speak in a tongue, it's going to be to exalt him. If you do prophesy, it will be to the glorification of him. Any other thing is another spirit. I think there's one more danger, and this really is my final closing, in the New Testament church. And it is the idea that we possess the spirit. We get that idea, that thought, looking down, just like I said, I just heard the preacher preach last week. Looking down on the Old Testament fathers because they had the Spirit of God that only moved on them. And looking up upon the New Testament church because we have the Spirit of God in us. Yes, you are the temple of God. Paul says, know you not that you are the temple of God? The Spirit of God resides in you. And this is constantly what we are fed, that we are the temple of God. And I believe that. Everybody say amen. God's presence resides in us, and we need to purify our lives to make room for the presence of God within us. That is absolutely true. But the danger is in thinking, wherever I go, the Spirit goes. Whatever I do, the Spirit does. Because I possess the Spirit of God. But we would be well served if we remembered that those who walk in the Spirit do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So when we hear... Jesus say that David was in the spirit. We get that idea of this um, ecstasy place. I don't believe that is at all what the apostle is saying when he says those who walk in the spirit. Those of you who are baptized in Christ, put on Christ. Those of you who walk in the spirit, You are in the ark of his presence. You do not walk in the judgment waters of baptism. You reside in that ark, and that ark takes you through transitions and protects and directs and takes you to where you need to go. There are some things... That may be permissible or okay in our lives, but they will drive us away from the ark. And this is the danger when we forget the portion, yes, we are the temple of God, but when we forget that we are also to walk in Christ. That we are not going and wherever we go, we take him with us but we are walking in his baptism, he is immersing us, we are completely covered by him, so if I'm walking in him, I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, because I'm, let's give, you a, to, give it to you a different way. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Do what? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly at heart and you shall find rest unto your soul. So it is again that picture of me being shackled or tied or engulfed, encompassed in Christ so that where he goes, I go. Not where I go, he goes. But that I am following the leading of his spirit. This is what Paul was saying. They were baptized into Moses. But do you know why it didn't work? Because they stopped doing what Moses said. Do you know why baptism won't work? If you stop doing what Jesus says. It's the exact type. Exact type. You cannot accidentally walk in the spirit. You must be baptized into his death. You must take up your cross and put to death some things you really like to do in the flesh in order so that you can walk rightly in the spirit. Because there are some things that happen that come across us in our lives. And we look around and we judge ourselves by the rest of the church world. And we say, well, listen, all the rest of the church world's doing this. And I'm not doing that. So I've got to be a whole lot better than what they are. So I'm permissible where I'm at. But the truth is that the Spirit of Christ is coming to us and saying, listen, I want you to walk in me. Paul says multiple times, walk in him. In him, locationally. It is locative in case. It means literally to be in him. Don't soften this for anybody. It doesn't need any excusing. Don't, don't think about this. Don't overthink it. You need to look and settle the issue. Let this settle in your heart. If you want the presence of Christ, you will sacrifice the desires of your flesh. That needs no... Explanation. So what does that mean? I'm not going to explain it to you. What that means is that you need to get desperate to say, Jesus, I want to be baptized in your spirit so that I am completely within you and your will. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him be baptized into him, immersed in him, overshadowed by him, pleasing to him. I want his presence surrounding my life. Amen? Pastor, would you come and close us out tonight?